We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. All right, Mr. Velner, welcome home. I assume you are still in full-on recovery mode. Yeah, I mean, I'm on a holiday mode for sure. I think I don't actually feel terrible. Like I need a lot of you know, physical recovery, but I think after the games and the, all the training that goes into the season, you always need that kind of mental break for at least a month or so before you do anything competitive again. So um, fortunately, we've got a lot of stuff going on that's kind of been put on hold for the last little while. I mean, we have a new baby that Michelle has been doing a lot of the work to take care of, and I get to jump back into the fray on that. And we actually have a wedding coming up in about a month. So we're doing all of our last minute planning and stuff for that. So I've got a lot of things that occupy my time. So I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm in like full on lay on the couch, do nothing mode, but uh, it's really nice to do other things and, uh, you know, service other parts of your life a little more for a little while. Well, that was the thing I really wanted to talk most about because I have a six month old, it'll be six months in two days. And I couldn't imagine training like you train with a baby in the house. So how different was that for you this year? Um, I think, so I think for you, for you, congratulations also, by the way, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but for at six months old, I think it's a lot harder than it is at six weeks old. Um, I don't I think want that, to be the burden of bad news right now, but yeah, it, like you, it's going to get a lot worse, I think, for you. And then six months is actually where it's like, I, I said this to my wife. I was like, because I left for the games probably around the same time you did. And I was like, I, when I got home, I was like, I didn't really like her. I'm going to be honest. Like, she, I wasn't a fan of her. And then I got <laughs> home and I'm like, now I like her. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a little, an infant can be a tyrant, right? Uh, so I think that that really was nice is that the timing was good enough that he was so young that, to be honest, he doesn't need me very much. Um, my, my job is to kind of look after Michelle, my partner and, and keep her happy and keep her kicking. Cause she's the one that has to take care of him. He needs mom a lot more than he needs me. Um, and you know, he was born about a week or less than a week before I had to compete at my semifinal. So as soon as we got to kind of the heavier stage of the season, um, he was around and really brand new. So we kind of, you know, you have time to see it coming, right? Babies don't just appear. Uh, and so we got to talk a lot about it and say, hey, like, how are we going to manage this? You know, what's the plan for the short term? And um, we sort of blocked off that six, seven, eight week period. Uh, and Michelle said, hey, look, like, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help you be successful and set yourself up for, for a strong performance. Um, like, we'll make sure we we manage our lives around that. Her parents were here helping as well uh, for about a month, which was super, super helpful just to have an extra set of hands and do the little things like helping cook, walking the dog, like little things like that, that just take time. Um, 
and yeah, and I, we, I, I slept in the guest room for a little while before the competition, just to make sure I was well rested. And uh, at the games, I, I had a second hotel room that I could run to and sleep in um, while my, and my parents were there and helping support with uh, Michelle there. So she wasn't just on her own. And so it was, you know, you have to manage it and, and set yourself up and give yourself a chance. Because, yeah, of course, it, I think that if I was trying to, you know, if I was up three times a night every night, um, it would be difficult to to perform the way that I would want to. So we made that decision as a team. And, and the sort of the, the deal was come now when it's done. She's like, hopefully it goes well. But no matter what, you know, by the time we get home, like I'm getting tagged in and I got to pay down some of that debt. Right. So I'm like, it's it's fun. And now it's great. Like I, I I'm excited to be doing it and helping out I feel like I've not that I've missed little portions of it I've been around but um, it's a bit more fun to get your hands dirty and I'm keen to do it I feel like now right um, so it's been it's been really awesome being home and spending more time doing that and uh, you know I, I owe you know my family her family and her a, a, a huge debt because you know that was a team effort and I'm like I'm the guy on the floor doing the things but uh that was definitely it took that whole crew to make it happen it, it you know that must be a weird dynamic as a new father like being selfish but not wanting to be like honey this is kind of you know our, our deal like this is how we pay the bills like i need this sleep like is that a, is that a challenge to be selfish as a competitor but also not say it improperly to to your wife or, or to your partner i think you have to be sensitive to that for sure and and i think that you know in general being an athlete at a high level is a selfish endeavor and you know many of the athletes who don't have kids would be telling you the same stories right and i think that we already i'm, I'm very aware of that and sensitive to it already and i think that every year that i've competed i try to be aware that when the competition season is done um it's time to sort of service those other parts of your life because some of it gets just hung up and put on hold for a little while and it doesn't like feel good. I've always, I've described it to people before as like, uh, you know, it's like having like one, like you got one bin and you know, as you sort of put more CrossFit in that bin, you've got to take other things out. Um, and that's just kind of how you divide your energy, right? Like you don't have infinite time or infinite energy to do things and, and you've got to spend that capital in a way that's going to, you know, help you reach whatever goals you have. So I've got sort of a few balls that I'd like to keep in the air. Like some of them are like for a long time, it was my education and now it's my work and, and like your family and friends and your social life. And then my, my professional life as an athlete as well. And so as we get closer to the game season, like I spend a little less time with my friends or my family or things like that, or just the, the conversation or what occupies my headspace. It starts to just take up more space in my life. And then come August, September, I get to have it take up no space. and It feels good to release that for a little bit and put a lot more of that family back in, friends and work and other things. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. And I think that, yeah, you have to be sensitive to the way you approach it. And sometimes we, we had situations where it's like, yeah, I would have loved to have been like, hey, this isn't the deal. But like, you know, you also have to be sensitive to everybody else's needs sometimes it's hard to be 100% selfish I mean it actually it's, it's incredibly easy to be 100% selfish you should try not to do it um, so I caught myself a few times doing that and in the odd day like even when I was staying in the guest bedroom trying to sleep like you just come spend the odd night with Michelle and the baby just because like I know I'll be up two or three times but like 
it's what you do um, for the people that support you, right? So I, I tried my best to, you know, because I was getting a break on some of those things, okay, you get to sleep, you get to whatever, um, make sure that I was doing everything I could in other areas, like, you know, try to change lots of the diapers, try to, in the morning when I get up early, because uh, I typically do, I would try to take the baby in the morning and let Michelle get, you know, three hours of sleep extra before maybe he, he really needed to feed and got really fussy and then I could go, you know, shake her awake. But I think it's, I think that the key is being aware of it first. And I think that having a, a low, like a base level of awareness for those sorts of things um, will make you a little, little less likely to, to say those things improperly. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, yeah, it's such a team thing that I, I was very sensitive to how much help I was being given in order to um, go shine when the lights on me. Right. And I think that that's, you know, everybody else really being unselfish. So I think whenever I, get, whenever I get the chance, I try to think of it. And that's what like now is all about. Like now that I don't have any, I've pulled all of that CrossFit out of my life for the next month and a half. Um, it's, it's all about kind of spending time with people. And um, and like I said, paying down those debts is kind of the best way I could put it. Is that you, you accrue a lot of that debt from people all over. Um, and, you know, just even sending cards, thank you. Like talking to people like your coach, your sponsors, your friends um, who all year round or especially during critical times um, really bend over backwards to help you look good. <laughs> so I think, I think just those little things go a long way. I like that. The paying, paying down. <laughs> From my perspective at the games, having just had a baby, I mean, everyone there is impressive, but Annie really impressed me with oh, the fact man. that, I mean, were you guys that were competing, do you guys have a moment to, appreciate the other performances going on like obviously you crushed it uh, you know everyone did great but Annie just coming back like seeing my wife on the road to recovery and then seeing like Annie on the podium again like it was just insane to me I, I think that you know I, I might be more tuned into some of that stuff than a lot of other athletes are um I, I like like I like following that kind of stuff and I like looking at you know scores and storylines and things um, and I find in competition it, it also like it pulls my head out a little bit like I get less absorbed in the, the small things that I'm doing which helps me relax and actually sometimes helps me perform better um, so I was following it pretty closely and I, I also I, I know Annie and, and Bjorgvin and Yami their coach like their whole team I know quite well um and so I, I spent a lot of time in the back, like in the tunnels and the warm-up areas, like we'd chat with them. And um, I, I, I love that. Like it, that was to me was the coolest story. And the whole, the way the whole thing happened from the start of the year, I think, I don't know what exactly she is now, like, you know, like 11 months postpartum or something like that. Like not quite a year maybe, but she has been very open that her postpartum experience has been very difficult, harder than she expected. And I think that we kind of get desensitized to some of that stuff like the only, the only other one we've seen really recently that was very public was Cara Saunders had her baby and then she came back like fast and everybody's experience is so different that you know I think that even Annie as an athlete saw that and thought oh this is going to be not that bad it's going to be pretty easy to get back to it um, I'm super fit I'm super healthy like typically that prototype has a really easy road to recovery postpartum um, and so I think that maybe her expectation earlier was, was different than 
her reality. And, and I think that caught her by surprise a bit. So every stage of the way, she was like, you know, very open about her experience, which I think is a really cool thing for women to see. Like, I don't like my partner. It's been cool to see um, because she's struggled a little bit being like, oh man, it's going to be really tough to get back to where I want to be. And um, yeah, seeing Annie be like every stage of competition, just surpass her expectations and not that she had her expectations and, and she had them in the right place. Like, I think in the open, she was unsure if she'd even be able to like complete the open. If, you know, lots of double unders come up or certain things like is my pelvic floor ready. And then by, um, you know, quarterfinals, like a whole bunch of GHDs come up and she's like, Oh shit. And then, you know, surpassed her expectations there by semifinals. I don't think she had any expectation of, of qualifying even, um, of course, I'm sure she wanted to, but I don't think it was an expectation. And then, you know, made it through. And she, I think just every step of the way, she kind of surpassed her expectations and, and just how infectious Annie is as well. Like, she's so happy about that and very like, you see her smile and it was just like amazing to see her at the games, continue that trend and continue to surpass her expectations. And I think by the end of the Saturday, she was in like, you know, top five contention. And on Sunday, we were kind of with their group and it's like, she's in a tight race for for third and we were watching when we were done the women went second because she was tied for for third I think or or something tied for third she was in a tie with Kristen Holta so it was like whoever wins the final of the two of them will take the podium spot um and we were standing with her coach in the back watching it and he lost his shit when she won it um he it was it's, it's so cool to see that that whole group is so passionate and like to see just obviously what that meant to her to be like, Hey, you know, coming back from what she did. And, and it, it's so cool. And we were even standing, like I was standing with uh, Justin Medeiros and, and Brent Fikowski. Like we were, you know, just chatting, kind of getting our stuff together for the podium thing. And we're watching this and it was incredible. And Justin, uh, who's, you know, 22, like when Annie first started on the scene and he like was a baby, right? Like we were watching it and Justin said like, this is crazy. She, when was she first on the podium? And I think I said like 2011 was probably the first podium she had when she won. I think she, uh, she won in 11, but she competed. 2009 was the year she got her first muscle up. Like at the right. Game. But I don't, I don't think she finished on the podium until 2011 when she won. Right. I, I think you're right. I'm not, I'm okay. sure the listeners will correct me, but that, I think that's what, right. that's what I, that's what I said to Justin. So I hope it's accurate. But anyway, the point being, he's like, look, so, so she, podium in 2011 and now we're 10 years later and she's just had a baby like within the last year and she's on the podium again and he's like that is incredible like that's you know you look at like what Tia's done which is also incredible but like this is just a different thing um we were all kind of standing there in the back in, in awe we were like this is like she's a legend like that is the coolest thing for what she's done in longevity and in the sport and and is still competitive at the highest level and to, to, you know, have a kid and come back and um, be able to do that. And, you know, the first thing she did when she came in the back was like, she was so excited to get home and see Freya, right? Like she wasn't able to bring her with her. Um, so, you know, I was at least able to like go hold my kid afterwards and, and appreciate it with my whole family. Um, and, you know, she wasn't really quite able to do that. So uh, I know the first thing when I saw her, like on her story, like two days later on Instagram was like, she was out swinging her kid around. And I think that that's just the coolest thing in the world. Like, and it was cool to see a guy like Justin appreciate that as well, being relatively new to the sport, having not been around for the majority of his career. And then just to be like, you know, he just won the games as the youngest winner of the games ever. And he's just like, that 
that was cool. Um, yeah, so I think, that, yeah, there's just a cool appreciation for that in the community. And like you said, not taking anything away from Tia or anyone's performance, they're just different, different types of incredible. I had, I judged Mallory O'Brien and during the event, I was like, this girl was like one when I found CrossFit. So it was yeah. pretty, pretty crazy to see those, those youngsters. I, I think, you know, you notice with the females, especially the teenagers make the leap from the teenage division to the individual competition a little faster than the guys were. Like there's, except for, I'm not even trying to say his name, Guillerme, am I saying that right? Yeah, uh, Guillerme, yeah. Guillerme? I think, I think that's right. He's the only one that's made that jump, I think, so far. So, yeah, and he's and he's 22. You know, he's not 17. Right. It took a couple <laughs> years, but Mallory and Emma and Haley all basically went teen immediately into individuals. What would you? We couldn't figure out why. We were talking about it. We're like, what's the difference there between men and women? Um, I I think part of it is is that um women develop slightly earlier than the men do. Um. I always have thought that the teen division was strange in that way because it's sort of a competition to see who's hit puberty the fastest. Um, yeah. And, and you look at like, in the, and particularly on the men's side, I think it's like, you know, you get kids who are winning who, you know, oh, this guy can clean 330. And so like they win the clean event and like, it's like a superpower when you're in the 16 year division. But like all of a sudden you age into the open category. And if you can't clean 330 every single time, like while you're tired, then that's tough. Like everybody's got that superpower. Like, and so I think that there's, a, it's a little bit like men competing against boys and all of a sudden you're men competing against men who've also been competing for as long as you've been alive. <laughs> and so there's like a little bit of that. Whereas I think the women, um, you know, are a little more, I think there's there's less discrepancy maybe between the the teenagers and the the adult women and i don't know i i think maybe sometimes the upper land strength stuff is more skewed on the men's side as well like i even look this year the if you look at the snatch event the men's starting weight was significantly heavier than the women's starting weight <laughs> in my opinion relatively speaking yeah yeah exactly like if you look at like you know what the field did and like people missed the first bar for the men like three guys did like nobody did on the women's side i think that some some events are programmed in different ways where you know the weight is just different for the men's and women so some events the women move a little faster than the men some it's the opposite so there might be a little bit of that that plays into it um but I don't know. It, I think a lot of it is developmental. Um, and, I, and maybe we just haven't seen those studs come through. Yet. Like we haven't seen that many of them on the women's side. There's been like three. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We had, I think there was one in my semifinal in the Atlas games. We had one gal who was 16 trying to make it through. And she just missed the last chance qualifier by like one point. So, you know, it, that would have been even if this year we had two 17 year olds and a 16 year old, it would have been crazy. And then she went on to win the teenage division uh, at the games. Like, so it's pretty impressive. Like th those girls can, they can compete with the, the women who've been around for a long time. Um, and, you know, like girls like Mallory and Emma have showed it like Mallory won an event at the games. They crushed everybody at the granite games. Um, it wasn't an accident. Right. Uh, and we'll see, we might get those guys that come in, but uh I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the, what we're missing there. 
but I think it might be a bit of that, that they age into the open division. And there's just a bit of a reality check. And, and like, I know when we had for years uh, in my regional in the East, we had the champions from the team division, I think for a couple of years in a row or from our region. So they aged into the, the open division and competed at our regional. And there was like a lot of fun hype around it. But then like you were coming into a, a division competing against Matt and I. And you'd like walk onto the floor and we just like throttled them. And then there was like a bit of a, oh, this is like the adult edition. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've seen it up close for the, the boys a few times. And um, my hope is that you don't see guys like getting hurt young because they're just, they go so hard when they're 14, 15, 16, that they're kind of wearing themselves out. Um, but it's interesting. The teen division's always been a, a curious one for me and I think it kind of goes a couple of different directions I've seen some athletes you know my, like my path to CrossFit was that I was an athlete in several sports before and then CrossFit is kind of a second athletic career for me it's a cool way for me to stay competitive um, you know service that side of my life and and, and have an outlet for that uh, and have a lot of fun and challenge myself and I think that there's a lot of teenage athletes that I've seen recently who have aged up moved away from CrossFit because they've gone to university and then they're like hey I'm gonna go play collegiate volleyball and because they were such good athletes already they were able to learn sports quickly that maybe they didn't play at a high level but they then could just transition into an athletic career uh, as, a, as a young adult which I think is super cool like that to me is um, to me that's what teenage CrossFit should be doing um and obviously that's my bias because I come from the sports background. And I think that to have the ability to, to create a lot of good general skills and fitness, and then one day be able to be like, okay, well I'm off to college and like, I'll oh, play some sports, make some friends and just be able to like walk onto a team because you're just that fit and skilled. Uh, that's exceptional. And I've seen a couple of those stories and that like, I think is so, so, so cool. So I don't know. It's interesting to see, but then you have the, the people like, you know, the Justin Medeiros and the, and the email Harris who, are exceptional crossfitters at a young age and then they just become more, more exceptional crossfitters at a slightly older age right so you know i think it's just whatever people want to do you you bring up sports you played lacrosse and competed in gymnastics prior to crossfit so i grew up wrestling and playing tennis both individual sports which oh, that's an interesting combo yeah well i'm five foot three so i didn't have yeah. a whole lot of options but I love individual sports. I love being in charge of, you know, how I perform and, 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 and no one impacting that, you know, coming from the lacrosse background, which do you prefer now? Cause you were also a team member of CrossFit Plateau in what, 2015. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that there's really good things in, in both. Um, and I think that they both teach you really important things. Uh, and I'm glad that I have done both. Um, you know, CrossFit to me is an individual sport that we've kind of morphed into a team sport. I think we've kind of, you know, put a square peg in a round hole on that one. And people may disagree with me, but that's just like how I kind of feel about it. I think in general, the, the idea of CrossFit is to challenge yourself and to, you know, like develop and push your own boundaries. So it, it's, it just, it feels um, forced to me almost. So I did a team, I did a team year and it was, I'm glad I did it. I think to me, it was a development year back then. There was a lot of, a lot more power output in the team side. It was a bit more of the like specialist era, maybe the last year of that kind of era. Um, and 
those were the things I needed to work on as an individual. So I spent a year working on shit that I needed to do. And it was really good for my development. And then when I went to the games as an individual, I was ready to compete and not just be there and take 30th, right? I, I came in in my first year as an individual and I came third. So it was an important stepping stone for me as a CrossFit athlete. Um, but, you know, it's, I have these interesting conversations now because, because now we have a kid, right? It's, you know, what are we going to do like for sports or activities or like, what are we going to try to instill in a, a kid? Right. And my partner was a cross country ski racer, like a, a national team cross country ski racer. So she was an individual sport person, um, endurance sport when I'm not a huge endurance sport person. So we have those arguments, but I think that individual sports are great. Cause you're right. It teaches you ownership and discipline, right? I mean, when it comes down to it and a competition happens, the decisions you make are reflected. Um, not, nothing else happens. Either you prepared well or you didn't prepare well or you made the right decision or the wrong decision. But whether you win or you lose, you have to take ownership of that because no one else was out there with you. Um, and so I think there's something really good about that. It sort of teaches you that, you know, you reap what you sow and you're in, you're in control of, of your destiny every day that you come to training and you, and you work out like that's, that's what you're doing is you're, you're trying to increase your odds of success, but it's all about what you do. Um, in a team context that there's not as much of that, um, you know, you're part of a machine and you can be flawless and still lose. Um, and that's challenging. Um, and I mean, not about winning and losing too. And in an individual sport, you can be flawless and lose to someone who's just better than you. Um, so, you know, I think that in a team, it teaches you a lot about communication um, and how to deal with people under stress. Uh, and that was something that I was usually quite good at. And I, when I played lacrosse for years, I would usually be a, a captain on the teams. And that was like one of my biggest roles is like figuring out how do you get the most out of an individual um, for the betterment of the team is because everybody deals with stress differently. They, they deal with criticism differently. Um, and if you want to maximize the team's potential, you've got to get every, every piston firing at its max capacity. And if I talk to athlete A the same way I talk to athlete B, you know, you get a completely different response. So learning how to motivate and talk to people in a way that works for them, whether it's the same way you think or not is irrelevant. Um, you just have to do that for the team and, and knowing that like sometimes you do things not because it's going to be good for you, but it's going to be good for the group. Uh, I think that that is, is a valuable skill. Um, and, I, and I also just love the social aspect of, of team sports. I think that there's something really important there for me um, developmentally as a kid, like just to be spending group, time with groups of people just striving towards a common goal. Um, and you see that in some individual sports as well, where you, you know, in gymnastics, like you have a team, um, but ultimately you're an individual as well. Uh, so it's a little bit different. Uh, you still are trying to beat those people. And that's kind of uh, like almost how CrossFit is for me now, right? It's like I'm friends with a lot of the people I compete with or, or you know, I, I have maybe a team with that my coach coaches several athletes. But at the end of the day, like my job is to beat those other guys. So um it, it's interesting. And I, I don't know if I, if I value one more than the other. Um, Cause I think that they both teach you really, really important lessons. Um, I think the trick for us now is just finding whatever one that we think uh, our kid will like and will enjoy watching. <laughs> I think it's also an important one. I also got to show up for uh, all these practices okay. and games and things like that. So something that we like and, uh, and that he'll like, and you know, 
I would go from there. Yeah, I'm really pushing my daughter to wrestle. My wife is not not having it, but we'll we'll see what happens. So you you mentioned the, about the team. Something you made me think of is uh, I'm on I'm part of the CrossFit seminar staff, and James Hobart and I had a conversation about being the flow master, and it's really all about bringing out the best of each individual in that weekend from us. Like, and then sometimes that means what you're best at as the leader you can't do because you have to let the other person do it. So it's interesting you say that it's the same thing there. Did, I mean, you've primarily been an athlete when, since being involved in CrossFit, did you ever have a desire to become, you know, a higher level CrossFit coach or to be a part of seminar staff? It's funny, not really. And it, and it's not because I don't like to coach people or work with people, but I, I think that I've always just, since I've been in CrossFit, I've been in school and I've been on a career path and I haven't had a lot of extra time uh, to do other things. So it's been sort of like, I just didn't have space to add another thing in. Um, and, you know, I, I've, you know, helped out with little things at boxes here and there if they needed an extra hand, but it's interesting. And I, I've seen you guys work, most of you guys before I've had the opportunity to coach a class with you on what on the waves and and see james and you know i know james mac and guys like that and um and see like how you guys run a class guys like connor murphy people who are really good at it austin maliolo and i like i have a huge appreciation for people who have that skill right and i think that my skill set is not as as geared towards large groups um and i'm sure I could develop it and doing something like the like the level ones and level twos and the seminar training stuff would help me build that um but I, I it's not really what my my career is either you know I work as a chiropractor I work in a lot of one-on-one -on -one setting um and I love one-on-one -on -one coaching I think that I really like details and I like to you know learn the intricacies of like one person and try to help them understand things on a different level and that's to me the really fun part and I, it's so impressive to me to see you guys do it to a large group and make those people feel like they're individually serviced really well um and and make everybody walk out feeling like you know that class was just for them because i i don't know if i if i'm good enough at that uh and like maybe it's fear of failure and things like that but that's just not like i just feel like i can't uh I want to give everybody more attention than I possibly can in like an hour long class. So I feel bad at the end being like, I didn't, I didn't give as much as I should have. Um, so, you know, that's like when I work with patients, that's like, I, I really try to dig in and then I really try to get involved. And uh, when I've like, if I have someone at the gym, ask me for like a tip or a piece of advice, like I'll give you 30. Like, I want to see you get it. Like I want to, I'll tell it to you a hundred different ways until one of them resonates with you. Like I, I really do enjoy that. Um, but it's just funny. Yeah, I haven't, I feel like partly it's because I haven't had the time to dedicate to it um, because of just too many other moving pieces in my life. But yeah, I think maybe I was a little intimidated too, because I've seen some of the best do it. And I'm just like, poof, I, I respect a lot the, the coaches who do a really good job of it. And it's just like, like I said, I don't, I don't know if it exactly aligns with my skill set. Well, that'd be like watching you compete and saying, I can't do CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It takes time for sure. But uh, like, I don't know if I, if I have, I certainly haven't yet had the time to dedicate to it and uh, maybe someday, but. So let's talk about being a chiropractor. First of all, I love cracking my neck. What's actually happening. Is that bad for me to crack my own neck? <laughs> no, it's not bad for you. I mean, it'd be bad for you if you did it like really badly. Um, 
mostly really what it is. It's like, it's like a pressure release. It's, it's the, there's joint capsules uh, in a bunch of those joints. And as those capsules get pulled apart, it's like, you know, when you think about high pressure system to low pressure system, the outside areas of fluid just rush into the, to the inside of the joint as you pull it apart, it makes a bit of a popping sound. It's nothing, it's nothing crazy. Really what it's doing is it's just like a, a quick increase in range of motion. So most of the time when we're doing that kind of a maneuver, it's to try to, it, it, you can think of it almost like, like greasing your joints, like trying to get a little more range of motion out of, out of the physical joint. So part of the trick is figuring out is it, is it the joint that needs to get worked on or is it muscles that are limiting the range or is it, you know, what, what actually is the limiter? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of theories and some competing theories about why there's a, you know, a net positive effect from that sort of a, a maneuver, but like, you know, they basically, it affects it's neuromuscular and it sort of affects the muscles around the joints and there's some, uh, joint level effect and there's some fluid exchange and things like that. So yeah, you should be fine. I wouldn't say try not to be super aggressive. Um, you know, I probably should say, let a professional do it, but if it's something that you do all the time, I don't think it's a big, big concern. If you ever do it and you have like a sharp pain or something like that though, then maybe, um, stop and maybe go check it out. No, it's usually a relief, but my old chiropractor back in New York, Dr. B, she used to yell at me for self-adjusting. Yeah. So, so the only concern, the concern a little bit is that if you do it a lot, like a lot, a lot over the course of a lifetime, um, you might develop like a hypermobility in the neck. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's meant to increase mobility of, of a certain joint. So if you get it to like a normal, whatever range, and then you continue to do it all the time, all the time, all the time, you can get actually like hypermobile. If you think of everything on like a, continuum of stability and mobility if you're at way at the stability end it means the joint doesn't move at all which is terrible you know that's like you're talking about frozen shoulder like you know fused vertebra like that kind of thing um if you're way on the other end of, of mobility mobility is great until your shoulder dislocates so you know same sort of situation is like these things are good until they're really bad like you need a certain amount of stability in order for your body to support itself that's why core strength is important all those things are so valuable for injury prevention right um so you want you want mobility that's stable you don't want hyper mobility and you don't want hyper stability so yeah you got to be a little careful like you don't want your head spinning around all the way <laughs> but yeah that would be probably why your your arrow is like hey don't do it all the time because if it sort of becomes a tick you're doing it all the time, all the time, whether you need it or not. I think there's some concern that in the end you get, you know, too mobile and, and then there's maybe not enough stability to, you know, to keep your head attached to your shoulders. Well, I wouldn't call myself too mobile. When, when, okay, you were, there you go. when you were going to chiropractor school or even now, do you get pushback from that community about CrossFit? Do I get pushback from the chiropractic community or the CrossFit community? Well, I guess both, but I was referring to the chiropractic community. For competing in CrossFit, like that it's like, I'm going to get hurt or it's bad for you or whatever? Yeah, you know, whether it's, I mean, I'm sure at first you go to school and some people are like, oh, that's Pat Vellner. Like I do CrossFit, he's really, and then some professors are like, you're just a student to them, right? But they hear that you do CrossFit and probably don't understand the level in oh. which you do it. Oh, Jason, the academia sucks. There's a, there's this weird e ego trip in academia. That's like, you know, your professors have all gone to school and made school their career. Um, 
And so there's this weird atmosphere, at least this has been my experience, that you know, if you're there, that should be your number one priority. You shouldn't be doing anything else. You should be doing only that. And it should be the only thing you value because to some of your professors, that's their reality. So there's this like, it's almost like people get upset when you have something else going on that you also consider important equally so to what you're doing at school. Um, I know over the course of, you know, so my first three years where I finished on the podium, I was at school um, and I, I was trying to compete throughout the years. I was constantly asking the registrar and, and my, my various professors for like, hey, I'm going to be away for this and that. And, you know, can I do this extra assignment because I'm going to miss this, whatever. And you just have, it's so much hoop jumping. It's like mandatory things that you have to be at, but it's like an attendance thing. And it's just, you, you know, they were constantly just absolutely gouging me for like percentages on courses because they'd just be like, no, you have to be at this seminar. It's well, what is it like it's a like it's a clinical education seminar for like this condition i'm like can i can, what if i just write a paper on that condition can i just like, be excused from that and they're like no if you miss this seminar you lose five percent of your total grade I'm like well that seminar happens to be like you know during like regionals say or something so it's like well I, i'm not going to be there like i'm telling you right now and it's like five months away that i'm not going to be there are you telling me there's nothing we can do in five months to get prepared to do this and be like, no. And they were just like ruthless. So I had a lot of butting heads with my institution for, you know, many years. And then it's, it's remarkable how much that changed. Um, as soon as I was about to graduate, I feel like 2018, I finished second. And then I had another, uh, like eight or 10 months of clinical rotations to do. And then that, and I was gone. I was out the door. I was graduated. It's all good. And, uh, they, and that last like four months, boy, did they ever want me to do like alumni papers and uh, this and that, and Hey, can we write this story on you? And like you and me, right. We did this together. I was like, no fucking way. Like we did not do this together. You were like an absolute roadblock every step of the way. And it's interesting. I think that that's an academic thing. Um, I think the profession operates a little bit differently. Um, there's different people who practice different ways, but a large part of our profession is, is um, geared around, you know, active care, like getting people back to activity and back to being mobile and maintaining that into later years of life, like a lot of rehab oriented care. Uh, and that's a lot of how I practice is like, you know, I, I do a lot of lifestyle intervention, rehab, you know, active therapy. So some people love, they're like, you're a perfect example of like, you know, how to stay and maybe like I'm an extreme example I'm the first to tell people that like you know what I'm doing is not necessarily healthy you want to fall somewhere like somewhere between what I'm doing and what you're currently doing um, and it I think that it's good to see you know those I don't know what like beacons of fitness and things like that that people can latch on to and it looks good and sexy and say like hey cool and so I get a lot of people who come see me because they're like this guy knows knows about like fitness and health and it gives you a certain amount of uh you know um reputation i guess although i'm not i haven't been in the profession that long that i that i know what i'm doing so that's really cool because i think you can work for many many years to try to get that um and having a name that people see on a in a newspaper or a headline somewhere gives you a certain amount of credibility right away so it's cool because then people listen to me right and I, and I think that when you're a young professional that's sometimes a big challenge um so and that's been really cool and so the profession's been generally really accepting i think that you know educational institutions are 
always trying to reinforce what they think you need to do. And so I spent a lot of years having people tell me, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do in your life. And da, 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 da. And it's like, so whenever you're asking to like leave or go do something else or whatever, it's like the, you're met with confusion. Cause they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, people can, most people can barely like graduate this course. Like, how are you able to do it? And then also like leave for like two weeks to go do something else and this and that. It's like, I don't know. I just am like, can I go? <laughs> or like, you know, I think that it, it's, it's interesting. And I, I'm a, I'm an extreme person, I think, obviously. So when I was at school working, I was working very, very hard. Um, so yeah, I was trying to afford myself those freedoms, knowing that in a month's time, I'm going to leave and I'm going to miss things. And I had to build myself a buffer in my education so that when I then had to leave and, and miss a, an assignment that was worth whatever that they wouldn't let me make up, it wouldn't cause me to not graduate. So yeah, it was, it's, it was an interesting ride. So I'm glad it's over. But um, so far, my experience in the profession has been super positive. You know, I work at a clinic that does a lot of, um, you know, they work with the, uh, the university on the island and we do a lot of work with, um, with athletes and, and people who are generally more willing or interested in increasing their fitness and their health. Um, so it's cool. That's a, it's a, it's a great tie in for me. Is, is chiropractic care free in Canada? Uh, it's not, it's, it's covered under like certain insurance plans, um, but only up to a certain limit. I think they're changing it right now in some provinces where like physio and chiro will follow under the same uh, umbrella. But like right now where we are, you know, you can, your benefits for massage and physio are quite extensive and Cairo is a little bit less. So ideally we'll get that wrapped into one kind of complimentary care package. And then it's just a little bit easier, but like people are paying. It's more right now. I think people have extended benefits are like great and covered, but if you have just like a basic benefit package, um, it's not as much. So certain professions are awesome. Like I see a ton of RCMP, like police officers and, and people like that because their benefits are awesome. So, uh, and they do a lot of hard work and they carry a lot of gear and stuff like that. So I see a lot of people like that and they're great. Uh, but yeah, ideally, uh, that'll get changed in the next little bit. How did you stay motivated to finish school at the same time you saw that you can make a living doing CrossFit? Um, I, I don't know. I think it would be different maybe if I, if I wasn't winning, I think that the fact that I was doing school and it was like, I was still finishing on the podium made me, maybe it made me feel like I could get away with it. Whereas like, if you, if you went and finished like eight and you're like, man, I'm in the top 10, but like, you know, maybe I could contend for that podium if I just, you know, drop this, uh, then maybe that would push me to do it. So there's a couple different things too. Again, my program is quite unforgiving and there actually wasn't an opportunity to like put it down for a year and then come back and pick up where you left off. Um, I think there was like, they had a, an arrangement for a certain amount of months you could leave, but I think it was mostly meant to service people who got pregnant or something like that and had a kid during school so that they could come back and finish the program. Um, so, you know, the, the, idea was, Hey, look like this is my future career. Um, I'm not being an athlete has a shelf life, like it or not. And I, and I think if you walk away from this now, you're going to have to either come back and start from zero or potentially find something else to do. Uh, or you can just, you know, 
you can just grow up and finish it for like another three years and then, and then you can do what you want. Um, so I did that. I, I, you know, I, I took, I think the harder path and I finished my school and, and, you know, we moved out to Vancouver Island and, and then, you know, the, the choice was then mine. Like, do I want to register with the college and do I want it to work or do I want to just compete in CrossFit? And, you know, again, I think that being a bit, uh, uh, risk averse, say I, I wanted to keep working a little bit and keep my hands moving. And I think it's a challenging you learn a lot in a program like that and you develop a lot of physical skills. And I think if I just said, okay, for the next four years, I'm not going to do any therapy. I'm not going to use my brain in that way at all. Think clinically. I'm just going to compete in CrossFit. I'm going to think about burpees and thrusters for four years and I'm going to be the best. Um, and then when you come back, you know, I, I would have to personally, I would, I would have to take like a year of, you know, doing continuing education, like reimmersing myself in that, that manner of thinking in that environment, you know, before I even felt comfortable dealing with the patient and being like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. My skills are sharp. I can help you. Um, and that's what people are coming and paying for, right? Like they want you to know what you're doing and trust that when I say something, uh, it's, it's, it's right. Or it's based on something. Uh, and I know what I'm talking about. So I thought that like, in order for me to be competent and comfortable treating patients, I would either need to take like a full year of re-education once I decided to come back to it. Or if you just work, you know, a couple days a week, keep your skills sharp, keep yourself thinking clinically. Um, and you just kind of keep that fire lit at like a baseline, then you're all good. So that's what I decided to do is just, you know, keep doing it. Um, you know, I don't need to do it a lot right now. My schedule for the last while has been basically, I, I train like five days a week and I work two days a week. Um, and then that's, that's it. Like I, I, any days that I'm off, uh, of training, I, I work in the clinic. So I don't really get any days off, which is, you know, we'll see, we'll see if I burn out of that at some point, but, uh, it's been working okay. And it's just, it's a totally different gear, right? Like I think you get tired in a different way when you're thinking all day and you're working with patients and you're problem solving than I do from a day of doing, yeah, like a day of doing thrusters and riding the assault bike. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed it so far. It's a way to like switch gears and, and yeah, just feel like I'm doing something completely different. And I, I can't think about CrossFit when I'm in the clinic and when I'm in, in clinic or when I'm uh, in the gym, I, I don't really think about, um, the clinic, although, except I think I have some patients that work out of my gym. So every now and then I, I see people and I like watch their movement and like <laughs> see what they're doing, if they're feeling any better. But I try to, it's, it's sort of compartmentalized in a way that allows me to be immersed in whatever I'm doing on that day, right? And I know it's Saturday morning, so I'm, I'm going to let you go. You mentioned earlier, you're friendly in the back, Justin, Brent. I, from my perspective as a judge, you have the biggest range of who you are off the floor and who you are on the floor. You <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, you come out on the floor. I'm like, this guy is angry. Like this guy's mad. Like you are very. You come out there, your face changes. You're very stoic. I mean, a lot of. I think different people get different, you know, excitement different ways. But you come out and, at least, in, to my perspective, very very serious. Versus, I'll give you an example. Noah comes out. And he's like giving you instructions on how he wants you to count his reps, right? He'll be like, hey, right. can you do this? Can you count loud? I'm like, dude, this is my job. Like, I know what I'm doing. So, but 
Can you, I don't think I've ever really heard an athlete talk through like what's going on from the moment you hear an event to through the warm-up practice, through the event itself and then after. So for example, like growing up wrestling, I have matches like I couldn't tell you what happened during the match. And then, you know, I'll watch it back and be like, that wasn't even me. Like what, what goes through your mind maybe when Dave's announcing a certain event? Like this year, I believe he announced the run and clean. He announced um, the hands, the free hand standing handstand, a couple others. What's going on in your mind, at least when you're sitting in the back, you know, 80 athletes or so, depending on where we are in the weekend, most of them are just thinking of, you know, silly questions to ask to, to, to help them get through that meeting, you know, and I'm sure you guys think about like, oh, here goes uh, so-and-so asking a, another silly question, but what's going through your mind in that moment? And then how does that change as you get ready to go out on the competition floor? Oh boy. That's a good question. Um, I, I mean, for one thing, I think that the way people behave on and off the floor has a lot, I think it has everything to do with stress management um, and how you, how you best deal with stress. I think the best athletes have figured out what their, whatever it is, what their persona is um, that allows them to channel that energy and make it useful. And, and, you know, you've seen different things over the years, like Matt is very intense in the back and the, and in the corrals and um, on the floor. And I think that I have found over the years that if I walk around with my shoulders tense like that for the whole weekend, it's exhausting to keep your energy dialed to 10 the whole time. Um, and so I, I, like you say, I kind of ride these waves of like when I can turn it on and when I turn it off. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, that like to hit that switch and be like, okay, we're on now competitive mode and just like beep, boop, walk on the floor and do your thing and then walk off and be like, switch off. Um, I don't think that's a skill that a lot of people have. Um, so they, or they take longer time to ramp up and to ramp down. Um, so, you know, you see them maybe in the warmup areas a little bit more intense and, and following the event, they might still be riding that high energy for a while. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, it's a lot of stress management. It keeps me loose. It keeps me, you know, if I'm looser, I'm going to compete a little better. So I tend to like joke around and talk with people, even as far as in the corrals, like when we're lined up to before we go on the floor. And then when we walk onto the floor and you do your run out, that's kind of when I'm like focused. Um, and I, I think that part of that for me is I've already made up my mind as far as what I'm going to do. I, I think that when Dave or whoever announces events, when we get information, I analyze things pretty quickly and I, and I, I do it very thoroughly. And I think that I know I have a pretty good understanding of, of what the demands of an individual event are, where the bottlenecks are, and where I stand maybe relative to the field. I, I pay really close attention to the field for periods of the year. And I think I have a good idea of, you know, who's going to be very good, strong in this event, who's going to be weak, whatever, da, da, da. Um, and I've always been pretty tapped into like, you know, I don't, I don't care about seeing the leaderboard, that kind of stuff. I, I love knowing the points. I love knowing where the scores are. I love knowing who I need to race, who I need to beat and knowing as races take shape, like what, where I need to put relative to someone else. Um, I know that that's not a, people don't love talking about that as an approach because it's all about, you know, being focused on your lane and execution. But um, I think if you can, 
use that information in a productive way can help to push you. At the end of the day, you are going to be measured against these people. Um, and so knowing that as long as it doesn't stress you out or freak you out is, is still valuable. So yeah, I think that I look at events and I kind of know, okay, I want to try to stay close to this guy. Like they're probably a little better than me at this, but if you can stay in close distance to them. Maybe you can push on them at a critical moment and whatever, but I, I analyze things fast. I try to come to terms with what my plan is. I talk to my coach a lot like that. Like I, we talk through events. I saw she actually was on like a, some sort of a, a vlog recently and someone asked her what it was like to, or what she says to me in times like these or something it was. And it was like Saturday night of the games this year. And she kind of just laughed and she's like, what do you like, what do you mean times like these? Like, like Pat already knows what he's going to do. He, I just ask him and then he tells me and you can see like, as he talks, he sort of like accepts what the plan is. And then it's like, I need to like put it down and, and, and talk about it and lay it out. I'm like, I can accept it. And then I move past it and then I'm good to go. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I, I've always, I've always found that I, yeah, I chat a lot and it makes me feel comfortable and it makes me feel loose and it makes me feel relaxed. So I try not to do it to people who are the opposite. Like if I know certain athletes are, you know, they don't want it, they want to isolate themselves to get focused. I don't go chase them down and like yap in their ear to mess with them. Like I try to find there's certain athletes who are more, more like me, more or less. And I talk to them and, and we sort of help calm each other down and, and you, you take the floor and you can be at peace with what your plan is and, and try to execute. But I'm definitely one of the guys who asks a lot of those questions in briefings. You're not um, terrible. You're not, you're not, you, yours are often, you've thought of something that we needed to hear because we're listening as well. Like the judges. Right. Kind of oh yeah. Okay. So a lot yeah. of times we're hearing the workout at the same time you are, and we're trying to work through our head. What does that mean for us? But can, can just because it's the most recent, 600 meters, what was it 690, the lunge, right? Yeah. Last event. You I, you pretty much had second place locked up, I think. Yeah, right? I did. I was like 100-something points clear of Brent. Right. So three, two, one, go. Like, I can tell you, like, as an average CrossFitter, 600 meters, I'm like, okay, shit, I got to go 600. Like, let's get to 200. Maybe I'll pick it up a little bit. I'll do that first set of 15. I'll be like, oh, damn, I got, you know, five more of those. Like, and then I would go to pick. Like, what goes through a, the best of the best of the, in the workout from that row? Like, three, two, one, go. Are you, like, fired up positive self-talk? Or are you like, what am I having for dinner? Wow. So, <laughs> the rows are maybe not the best example because that row was basically irrelevant in that workout. Yeah, so you, just you, so you it. So you had to row, you know, moderate, hard, sustainable effort. Like you don't want to come off 10 seconds behind somebody and, and have to try to make it up in the pull-ups, but um, it didn't really matter. You weren't going to win it on the rower. So I think that everybody was very composed on the rower and it was like two minutes of just chilling. So um, that was like, you know, a bit lazy. And it was kind of cool because you got, this is the last event in the Coliseum for the weekend. So you can kind of look around um and take it in for a little bit and then try to refocus as you closed in on the the pull-ups because that workout was all about pull-ups really i think that you know if you separated yourself a bit there and got on the lunges faster and broke away it was hard to close gap on people um so i knew that going in you know so here's so here's what here's how this works so i went being in the second heat or having a heat advantage is really valuable 
And that's always one of my goals, even at the start of the competition this year when I, I blew up event one. The, end, the plan at the end of that day was you need to be in the top 10 so that you don't lose a heated advantage on day two. That was the only thing I cared about at that point. So, because it cannot be understated how big of an advantage it is. For example, like, yeah, the, the running clean workout, the first one, everybody had kind of a plan. We saw the first heat go and nobody finished. And we were like, holy fuck, everybody has to run way faster than we thought. So every other heat realized that was a running workout, not a clean workout. And so you get an advantage from that. And so this last one for the pull-ups, um, I talked to Michelle a bit about it and, you know, her feedback was, you know, it's a lot of pull-ups. I think that probably like when was the last time you did six sets of 15 pull-ups, like in rapid succession, like that pull-ups will break down. So it, is it smart to, you know, break them earlier, do something like 10, five in the early sets to set yourself up for success later in the pull-ups. We watched the first heat go, you know, the first three or four guys off the pull-up bar did them largely unbroken. Maybe the last set broke and they, and then they went on to win the workout. The lunges seemed to be mostly unaffected by their pull-ups. So it was like, okay, game plan change. Um, you know, that was a smart way to program the workout because 15 is a just big enough set that you're stretching it for that many in a row. But because you had to do all 15 before you advance to the next bar, you know, like doing sets of 12 is impossible because you, you aren't going to do 12 and then drop for three, right? So it pushed everybody to stretch their pull-up sets a little bit. Uh, and then I think I went 15s, I broke the last two. And that was kind of where Justin pulled ahead a little bit and he got to the lunges like 10 seconds ahead of me and was basically gone. And at that point, I when I got to the lunges, I was like, okay, Justin just won the games. Like, unless he completely explodes on the lunges which i just don't think is going to happen so i frankly kind of shut it down on the lunges and was like enjoy this last bit of lunging you just came second again you're all good just like whatever sort it out um so you know i needed to beat him by like seven places in order to win the games and it was clear to me at that point he was one of the first ones to the lunges it's just like that will not happen there's no way so all good no problem um but yeah i mean watching watching the event in the first heat gave us a little bit of information about that stuff. Um, you know, I thought it was funny. The, the rowing thing, a great story from rowing is the race was like, really Justin and I were in a race, like he had mostly won it by the time we took the floor for the last event. And I think in a general fitness event, that was pretty clear to me. I knew that he had ripped his hand doing the runner at max snatch the night before. So the only thing in my head was like, if he starts to slip on the pull-ups, I can win. And if it fucks him up enough that a bunch of people beat him, then I can win. So by the end of the pull-ups, when he was fine, I was like, yeah, he's fine. Um, and so that's all good. Like I knew that. And I had enough time to process that in the workout. It's no big deal. The rowing was funny because I think a couple people, the race for third and fourth was pretty hot. I think if BK beat Brent by like two people or, or like one person finished between them, uh, BK would have jumped him for a third. So BKG was on my left he i don't know if he was rowing super hard or what was going on but he lost his rower seat at some point saw that i remember that yeah it was so funny he just and he dropped the loudest f-bomb he was just like next thing i was like what is happening because everybody else is very relaxed and like i'm kind of looking peeking at justin's screen seeing what he's rowing like we were rowing like 146 147 like 
we're all, everybody's kind of doing the same thing. It wasn't a rowing workout, like I said. And then like, I don't know how BKG managed to pull that off. Like what he was doing on the rower for a 1600, 600 meter row that caused that kind of a meltdown. But I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, so that was a weird event. Yeah. You got to start with this very relaxed, composed situation where, you know, you just kind of had to do your thing for like two minutes and then you, the workout started and then the workout was like 90 pull-ups and then the lunges were, you know, I think that you, you could survive the lunges and that wasn't like the meat of the workout. So, um, it was fun. You got to like, enjoy the arena a little bit, watch BKG, uh, screw himself on the rower. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things from, from the time it's announced. I think there's like, you do the initial processing, you initially, I always think about like, where's the advantage? Like, was there something that I can do that's not obvious, that's different from everybody else that's going to give me an advantage. And then is that potentially illegal? And then I ask that question. Um, and then, you know, from there it's watching the heat go before you and then making a last minute adjustment, maybe based on what you see. Uh, if somebody did something that was super successful that you want to emulate, or if somebody did something that you were planning on doing and they self-destructed you're like okay maybe reevaluate um and then yeah from there like once i'm on the floor it's yeah, i'm pretty much turned on um and yeah it's funny you said I, I like generally i'm fairly stoic and i think that that's i get that a lot from like my family i look at photos sometimes and i like i have like this neutral face like i could be i i, I have photos from the sprint like the 500 meter sprint where i look like like mouth closed like I just woke up like and I like I don't know how I do that or why but I definitely don't make very exciting faces while I'm working out uh relative to maybe some of my peers and that get really excited and you know hype the crowd and ride those highs really high I think my style has always been to maintain an even keel and, and I think of it like like arousal curves where if you're underexcited, you, you might underperform, you need a bit of that energy. But if you overdo it, like, you know, you can blow up fast, you can over pull lifts, you can overdo it quite easily and, and burn out. So, you know, your most effective strategy is to not be up and down. It's to just ride it right through the middle in the sweet spot for the whole thing. And so, you know, that's how I approach competition as a whole. And that's why I'm able to, you know, lose events like I did this year in the beginning and, and come back from that and have it not affect me. Um, and, you know, at the same time, win several events and, and walk off the floor and, and move on to the next one really quickly. So I don't know. It's a style thing, I think. And, and people just learn the longer they compete um, what works best for them. I think the best thing you can do as a young competitor is try on a few different hats um, cause some people just compete very differently from others, but they're just as successful. So try on a couple different things, see what you like, what works well for you, uh, and doesn't feel, you know, forced or fake, uh, and just do it like whatever. There's no, nobody says you got to do it the same as anybody else. Yeah. We just, you know, we do our best to, some people come out and they're chatty. And like, when I've had you, I'm just like, okay, stay out of this dude's way and just let, you know, <laughs> all the reps to the best of your ability before we go what's what's your plan for the future with crossfit or at least what you have written down right now are you gonna pete shaw wants to know if if you're gonna just run through and try to sweep the masters from 35 to 65 is that <laughs> that's something that as you get a little older you start to think about like okay what's next can i go team you know people are talking yeah. is Matt gonna come back and go team is t gonna go team what's what's Man. 
Jason, You're... I just came. I just came second at the games. You're asking me if I'm going to go Masters. <laughs> I didn't mean it from that perspective. I'm talking about next year, but in in the future. Um, you know, I haven't thought a lot about that. I think that I I'm trying to focus more on you know what my individual career will look like at the end, and uh, you know I'm going to put another good couple years in probably, and then we'll see. Um, I think a lot of that depends on how your personal life develops and stuff. You know, we've got a kid now, we're starting a family. I think at a certain point, if I did want to continue to compete masters, it would look very differently than it does now. You know, I think that that would be a, that's a, a career of passion. I think where you're like, you're competing because you love to compete. And I think it would feel very differently. The stress would be very different. The pressure would be different. Um, and that would be just to like go hang out with, the crew again right and get together once a year get the band together and do it and you know maybe maybe i would um i think that there's always a for me when my career is done competing as an individual um it's time to start to ramp up my clinic days and you know start to to get back into that career path and service that a little bit more seriously and um and maybe have an opportunity to build something more on the clinical end than i can right now just because i don't have the time to do it um, so, you know, that's always the balance for me is that I think that when I decide to hang up as an individual, my CrossFit is going to drop significantly and my, my clinical career is going to increase in time demand. Um, and I'll have kind of more time to spend with the family. So I, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm not, you know, if I was going to do it, I'm not sure I would win it because I would just be a different athlete. And so part of me wonders if I would be willing to do that. Like I don't show up to, to not win. Um, so that's hard on my athlete identity. So maybe I'll grow out of that. Um, maybe not. And we'll see what it looks like, but I personally, you've got to, I know yourself a little bit. And if I'm just going to do that, it's going to be frustrating and whatever, and then not be a positive experience, then I would maybe not do it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that at some point I'll be able to let that go. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I think that that's sort of the, for now, I'm going to probably do a couple events in the off season. Um, with my partner on mat leave right now, I mean, she's a, she's a family doctor and we, so we have never really had time to do anything. Uh, I've always been like a fly in fly out competitor. Like I show up like a day before and I go to work and I do what I'm there to do. And then I leave immediately. Uh, I've had a competition I've gone to where I had to fly out before the podium ceremony. And it's just like, that's what my life's been like because of school and work. And, and I think that we now have an opportunity to, enjoy some of the little things a little more um and spend some time go to a competition and hang out for a week um and i think that that's the plan in the next you know year is to spend some time enjoying those things a little more um so i think well i'm gonna you know i'm going to let her pick a couple events and say like where do you want to go like we'll we'll go somewhere we'll spend some time I'll, i'll go work out for a little bit we'll try to pay for our trip and then that's that's how we'll do it but uh and then we'll we'll regroup for the season next year so in the short term, that's kind of the plan. Maybe hit a couple of uh, nice off-season events and then regroup. And, yeah, for the long term, uh, it's hard to say. Um, it'd be nice to stay involved in the CrossFit world um, in some way. I think, you know, I have a pretty easy avenue as a, as a manual therapist to sort of stay involved in some way. So, you know, I might, uh, I might get in touch with CrossFit Health and see if there's any way to start bridging a gap there and, um, yeah, and just see if you can maintain some of those connections. And, you know, I, I've spent a lot of years making myself a, a 
a prominent member of that community, a visible member of that community. And I think it would be cool to be able to move out of the athlete role at some point and then take on just a slightly different role uh, and then still stay involved in that community. Uh, That would be kind of the dream, you know? One day it won't be Aristotle doing the body work. It'll be Vilner chiropractic, (laughs) all of the care for the athletes out there. Well, in the very short term, I will let you go take care of that baby and have a fantastic wedding. Um, I'm sure everyone's giving you advice. Same advice. Just enjoy it, right? You, yeah. uh, everybody says it goes too fast. It does, but um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. And is the baby coming down with you? Going to be standing at the altar with with you and Michelle? We're going to try to have him. Uh, one of the grandparents holding him and maybe not crying during the ceremony. That's priority number one. And then we'll definitely get some nice photos. But uh, we have our cute little family. We've got the dog and the baby, and the things are going well. You know. Life has been pretty, pretty kind to us. So we're very lucky. Well, well-deserved. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jason. It's good to see you. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time. You've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day. I talk about the Sex Panther beard balm. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs, my favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we want to support the show. And We appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you want to be sexy like me, then you want to check out Doc Spartan products. 15% off with the code BESTHOUR. That's BESTHOUR for 15% off anything at their website, docspartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard balm. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So Head on over to docspartan.com, use the code best hour and save 15%. You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy SEAL Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. 
Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better. Do better. We'll pay.